Today I'm going to, I want to continue on what I shared last week. Anybody remember what the big idea was? Love rejoices with the truth. Say that again. Love rejoices with the truth. And so today I want to, I want to kind of go back to the church at Corinth and... You know, last week I had mentioned about why Paul had wrote that letter to the church in Corinthian, the Corinthian church, I should say. The church had some problems and going on, right? Remember that? First thing I shared was that the church had become a defiled church. Everybody say they were defiled. They were a defiled church because they had allowed sexual sin and drunkenness to be openly practiced in the congregation. Everybody say, that's a problem. Now, the other problem it had was that it was a divided church. You know, there were certain groups of Christians who were kind of plain favorites of, you know, whatever leader was influencing them the most. Everyone ever done that? Yeah? Come on. I've heard it. Well, I follow Eric. Well, I follow Tom. Well, I follow Mike. Some of you are so spiritual, you don't follow any of us. You just follow Jesus. Yeah, that's a problem. And it was a problem with the Corinthian church. And because of those two problems, because those were, were so um, infiltrated, they were so permeated, they were so spread through the church, it was getting outside of the church. They were getting a reputation in the community of what kind of church they were. And because of those two things, the church at Corinth was a disgraced church. They were a disgrace to the Lord. And right now I can think of really no better way to describe the church in America. We are becoming a defiled church, a divided church that's soon to be a disgraced church if something doesn't change. And Paul is using this letter to the Corinthians to remind them of what is right and what is wrong. What is truth and what is a lie. And I love what he said in 1 Corinthians 13. He reminds us of what mature love looks like. That whole chapter. And specifically, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You see, the church at Corinth was taking the message of grace and they were using it as a license to sin. In fact, the Corinthians were so confused, they were so misguided that the issue of, about the issue of grace that they wouldn't even correct one of their own who were in gross sin. This is how, how off they were in the thinking about what grace means. They would not even correct one of their own. And Paul tells us about it in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He brings this against the church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. <laughs> I mean, this is like the people who don't care about God. You're sinning in a sexual way that's worse than the world. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Now this is Paul, the guy who taught us the gospel of grace. 
who knows it better than you or I or See, it's verses like this why Paul had to say, love does not rejoice in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. He's telling us that sleazy grace is not what Christianity is all about. Remember when I talked about sleazy grace? We got greasy grace, sleazy grace, measy grace, and cheesy grace, right? Sleazy grace was a perversion of grace. One is, which is one of really the oldest abuses of grace because it turns grace into a license to indulge in anything that I feel like indulging in. And those who practice sleazy grace distort the idea of God's grace and they make it meaningless. So when we fail to love by rejoicing in the truth, lawlessness starts to creep in. Just as it did in the Corinthian church. Now that wasn't the only problem they were, why they were defiled church. Let's look at chapter 6 starting in verse 9. Paul's reminding them again. He's like, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. God. Now what Paul is doing is he's giving us a laundry list of the sins that were at Corinth. And how do we know that? Verse 11. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. How many of you know old sins like to come back? They love to just come back at us and try to take us out. And so Paul has had to remind the Corinthians that, that as they were falling back into these sins... That they were not to behave like this because Jesus had justified them. He cleansed them. He set them apart from these kinds of behaviors. So today I, I feel burdened to remind us what God has to say about sex. Everybody say sex. I feel burdened to tell us what God has to say about sex so we can rejoice with the truth and become mature followers of God. So let's read that again in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, Do you not realize that those who do wrong, and I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation now, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen, I realize that it is very tempting for us to believe the Bible is one great, big, depressing rule book on everything that's fun. I 
And I, believe, and, I, and I think it's even more tempting to believe that it's the job of pastors and leaders to make sure life is as boring as possible. <laughs> right? But here's the dilemma. Here's the problem. We as humans have an ever-increasing appetite for pleasure. It's never satisfied. Now, traditionally, the only thing that's standing in our way of indulging in every craving has been the Word of God. That's it. Every law in the land of America in the beginning was built on the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Don't have sex with someone who's not your wife or her husband. Don't steal. It's the only thing standing between us and completely indulging in everything that feels good. But here's the thing. Just like a meth addict who sees things like having a job or maybe taking a shower or washing their clothes, even brushing their teeth or maybe even eating food as obstacles to their addiction. just like a meth addict, would see those things as getting in the way, getting high, feeling good. We have that tendency as well. We have a tendency to dismiss the living word of God as an obstruction to our pursuit of happiness. And now enters postmodernism. Remember when I shared that last week? Self-centered worldview of postmodernism that leads us down a dark path. Because down that path, there are no absolute truths. There are no obstacles between you and whatever feels right. And so with the rejection of moral truth, we then become free to do as every man thinks is right in his own mind. Are we there, Americans? Are we there doing whatever we think is right? Whatever we think is right in our own mind. And you know, there's one thing that's on the mind of most men and some women. We said it. Say it. Sex. And you know what? I think that's great. Hang on, Eric. I'm going somewhere. As a matter of fact, I believe it's God's will that you think about sex. And here's why. It's not evil that sexual thoughts enter your mind. You and I have been hardwired in our DNA by God to have thoughts and desires not long after we hit puberty. It is in the human DNA. We established Last week that God created us. He put it in us. And to say that we should not think about sex is to deny the very plan of how God created humans to be. You see, it's not that you have thoughts about sex that makes you bad or an evil person. It's the kind of thoughts that you have that's either killing you emotionally and spiritually or it's nourishing your soul with life. So how do we know which sexual thoughts have the power to kill us and what sexual thoughts have the power to bless our soul? 
To me, it's a question of manufacturing. Most every product that, that's made comes with an owner's manual, right? Inside that manual is the wisdom, knowledge, and purpose of the designers of that specific product. No one knows the product's strengths and weaknesses better than the manufacturer. No one. They've tested it. They built it. They know what every single part is meant to be doing. No one knows the purpose of each and every component better than the designers do. And with every product comes a list of warnings cautioning us on the improper use of their product. That's why they have on the the wood chipper these big signs where the wood goes in that says, No hands, no legs, do not reach in. I mean, in other words, you know, you're free to blow dry your hair while you're in the bathtub. But you might be shocked by the outcome. (laughs) Come on. Took me 10 minutes to come up with that one. I mean, you're free to put tap water from the garden hose into your car because it's cheaper. You're free to do that. But the result is always going to be disastrous. You're free to do it. But the manufacturer has built this thing with precision. And this is the optimal way you can run this thing. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, clearly we can see in this passage the work of God. This is God, the great designer, the almighty manufacturer of me, of you. His creation is his product. Every single bit of it. I love in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, this is what Paul says. He says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everybody say good works. You have been prepared for good works. He sat and he thought you up all by himself. And there's not another like you. Not another. And he's prepared each and every one for good works. Meaning you should work good. You should work well. We'll use good English. And you know what one of those good works is? It's sex. One of those good works God created you for? Sex. How do I know that? Let's look at the Bible. 
Verse 28, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule, rule over it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, for those of you who haven't had an eighth grade health class, <laughs> allow me to explain this scripture. You see, the way God designed humans to accomplish the good work of being fruitful and multiplying, guess what? Sex. That was his idea. It was his idea. God thought that one up all by himself. And you know what? Satan had nothing to do with it. At all. I mean, it's not, you know, the devil didn't like show up in the garden one day and say, Hey, hey, did you guys know you're both naked? And you're together in this garden. It's paradise, isn't it? You know, no one's watching. Wink, wink. That ain't how it went down. That's not how it happened. No, see, here's what happened. God put one naked man and one naked woman in a garden. And they were both covered with the glory of God. And they felt no shame. And he commanded them. Say, commanded. He commanded them, have sex, make babies, take over the earth. It's yours. It was a command from Abba to his creation. But we all know that didn't last long before Satan did come in and he wrecked it. He wrecked the whole plan. You see, what happened when Satan entered the picture, the man and the woman sinned against God. And before they even knew it, shame is now the predominant emotion they feel when they see each other naked. And Satan's pretty happy about that. See, the devil was successful in destroying intimacy between humans with God. And he was able to destroy intimacy between the man, and the woman. And that was just the beginning of Satan's master plan. That was just the beginning of his master plan to ruin, wreck, kill, and destroy God's original purpose for the human race. Now, as I said before, sex was not Satan's idea. It was God's plan for one man and one woman. Just say that. It was God's plan for one man and one woman. That's the design. The great manufacturer. And all Satan was able to do was destroy it, twist, and pervert sex. That's all he has. God had a great idea, and Satan completely messed it up. And now for thousands of years, Satan has been destroying God's awesome idea about sex. Now, as I said before, God wants us to think about sex. 
That's why when we hit full-blown puberty, we naturally start becoming curious about it. It's in our DNA. So the good news is God wants us to think about sex. The bad news is Satan wants us to think about sex as well. Sex is not inherently bad. You see, it again, it's the kind of thoughts that we have about sex that are producing life or they're killing you. So what do you think about sex? For all of us, biology begins the curiosity. But most of the thoughts that we have about sex are not originally ours. In fact, almost, almost 100% of what we think about sex has been revealed or told to us by some outside source. I mean, biology does its, you know, starts the engine. But most of what we have ever learned or known or thought about sex has been given to us from an outside source. Every sex about, every thought about sex has two really source options. They come from one of two places. It's either our God who created sex to bring us life, or it is the God of this world. Satan, who distorts sex in order to kill us. That's it. Those are the two options. Our thoughts about sex originate either from our Father God, or it comes from our tormentor, the devil. It's either heaven or hell. Every idea about sex comes from one of those two sources. So for our benefit, God put all the big important ideas about sex in the human owner's manual. Do you know there was one? Everybody says, I wish my baby came with an owner's manual. It did. You've probably got five of them laying around your house. It's called the Bible. Human owner's manual. That was for our benefit. God put in his book all the big ideas about sex. He's like, I created it. I created you. I know a thing or two about it. I know how it's going to produce life for you. I know how it's going to be lied to you and eventually will kill you. I put that all in the, on the owner's manual. It's all there. Just read it. And most of us like to throw the owner's manual and just get started. For some of you, that's a really bad idea. You see, here's the thing. Satan is a Bible scholar. See, he knows what's in the Bible better than all of us put together. I mean, seriously, if we went down and said, just name every Bible verse you can think of, and what does it mean, and what's its implication on humanity, (laughs) he is way out there beyond us. So Satan, the Bible scholar, he knows what the Bible says about it. He actually knows what sex was created for. He read the owner's manual. He gets it. And so what he has done is he takes God's great big ideas about sex and he twists them in such a way that they end up killing us. And so the way Satan gets his instructions for sex 
to us is through how? Movies, television, internet, porn, and even word of mouth through people who have already defiled themselves by watching or practicing sex according to Satan's destructive plan. How do you think teenagers learn about it? You would hope that mom and dad are imparting to them something holy and set apart, but it's not. John chapter 8. Verse 42 through 47, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. This is why my language is not clear to you. Because you are unable to hear what I say. And here's why. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desire. See, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong These are stout words from the Messiah, the author of grace and truth. Everyone say, love rejoices with the truth. truth. Now say, I rejoice with the truth. Now say, I rejoice with the truth about sex. You see, we're either believing and thinking the truth about sexual behavior or we're believing and thinking destructive lies about sexual behavior. What worldview do you live with? Is it a secular, postmodern worldview? Or is it a biblical worldview about sex? Well, let's go see what the Corinthians were thinking about sex. Let's go back to chapter 5, verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. It says, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife. And you are proud. Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and had put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Now, just to be clear, Paul is saying that there's a guy in your church and he's having sex with his stepmom. And the church is proud. I mean, just by a show of hands, who thinks having sex with your stepmom is a secular, postmodern worldview? I mean, if it feels right, do it, right? Here it is. Here it is. Anybody think it's a biblical worldview? Sex with stepmoms okay? Anyone? It's okay. We will deliver you to the hands of God today. Just kidding. So who do you think inspired this guy to have thoughts about having sex with his dad's wife? Was it heaven or hell? Hell. Hell. Good, I'm, I'm glad we, we know that one. 
So by reading what Paul's uh, telling, saying to the Corinthian church, did they have a biblical worldview or are they struggling with a postmodern secular one? Postmodern secular worldview, that's the answer. I know those are a lot of words. I'll help you. The church was proud. They were proud this guy's having sex with his stepmom. So let's keep reading. So now back to chapter 6, verse 9, Paul, again, he says this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slandered, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, Paul gave us a list of what, of, here's what the church was thinking. These are the thoughts about sex that they had. Now, just in case you don't know what some of these words mean, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Sexual immorality. This is a very broad term that refers to any kind of sexual behavior outside of the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman. That's sexual immorality. Any sexual behavior outside of a covenant marriage with one man and one woman. Idolatry specifically refers to idol worship. But the meaning that it has for us in our day is anything that we worship or esteem higher than God, including materialism or idolizing celebrities or patterning and shaping our life after those who do not worship God. Adultery. This one's easy. Having sex with someone who is not your spouse. Mentally, emotionally, or physically. We won't go there yet. Male prostitutes. These were men who were paid to have gay sex performed to them. Homosexual offenders. These were men or women who engaged in any form of gay sex. Now, I ask again, does this list of sexual behaviors belong to a secular postmodern worldview or a biblical one? Secular. It's not hard to figure out. Paul clearly tells us at the end of this list that th what this worldview belongs to. It's not from heaven. It's from hell. God wants us to think about sex. Here's the thing. Satan wants us to think about sex too. What do you think about sex? Are you getting your thoughts from the truth of God's word? Or do you get it from movies and TV, the internet, or entertainment? Are those things shaping your thoughts about sex? Paul said, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, here's what I love about what Paul says next. After he gives them this really strong correction, he reminds the Corinthian Christians about what God has done to give them life. Let's read in verse 11. That is what some of you were. In other words, what he's saying is some of you were having sex before marriage. Some of you were having sex with someone who's not your spouse. Some of you were gay. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you used to be those things. But you were washed you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
Someone say amen to that. Paul is reminding the Corinthians how to think about themselves. Get back to a worldview that's from the Bible. Get back to loving and rejoicing with the truth. Pop culture has lied to you. The father of lies has lied to you. He's trying to kill you. Paul is calling us back to what Jesus has done for you, for me. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the truth. Paul's calling us back to that. He's calling us back to the word of God is truth. Jesus said that your word is true. Ephesians 5.8, Paul tells us, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Say, I am light in the Lord. I am light in the Lord, so live as children of light. When we rejoice with the truth, our light becomes very, very bright. I love Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. Arise and shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations, everybody say nations. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. I mean, Jesus told us, go make disciples of nations. And when it says arise and shine, it means wake up. Wake up. Stop living like people covered by darkness. Do you see? It's covering the people of the earth. Darkness is covering the peoples. Thick darkness. So wake up and live like children of the light. You are light in the Lord. So let's rejoice in the truth. Now, Paul wrote a second letter to the Corinthian church to follow up on a lot of the things he said in his first one. And here's one of them in chapter 3, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians. He says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Say amen. amen. I hope this isn't boring you. I know it's hot and you're all sleepy. Do you need to stand for a minute? Okay. Because we're losing this war. And it's your fault. And it's my fault. Okay? Just say it's my fault. Youth, say it's my fault. Youth people, say it's my fault. You don't even know what I'm talking about. It's my fault. It's your fault. Our light hasn't been very bright. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Psalm 43 and verse 3 says, Send forth your light and your truth. Do you see these are buddies? Light and truth. Send forth your light and truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, of God, to God, my joy and my delight. And I will praise you with the harp, 
O God, my God. And Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 21, Whoever lives by the truth, everybody say truth, comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. You cannot have light and you cannot be a light without truth. I'm going to say that again. You cannot have light and you cannot be light if you have no truth. (laughs) Ephesians 5 and verse 8 says, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And verse 9 is great. It says, For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, Righteousness, and there it is, truth. Love does rejoice with the truth. And truth makes me a light in the Lord. Who's our prayer team today? Connie, Bruce, Susan? Okay, I need you guys to come up. Mike and Ashley, I need you guys to come up. I want you guys over here. Um, Connie, yeah, you guys, there you go. Come, come, come to the, come to the middle a little bit. Um, you two, Meredith, you come right here. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Chad and Tina, I need you guys. Come on down. You guys stay in the middle. We've got to do business with this issue of sex. We've got to do business with God today. And I know some of us here today are struggling with darkness in our hearts. Go ahead and put some music on, Alger. Just get it light. You know, that darkness takes a lot of different forms. Maybe it's sexual sin. Maybe you abuse alcohol or drugs. Maybe you have a problem with lying. Maybe you talk about people in a negative and hurtful way. Truth is, Jesus can deliver you from your sin. See, the truth is, sin does not have to be your master. If you want to be free from your sin, you have to confess it. You have to confess your sin. You have to repent of your sin. And God will heal your brokenness. Listen, love is waiting here to heal you. That's all that we have to heal us is the love of Jesus. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Live as children of truth. Maybe you've never even received Jesus as Savior. If not, I'm inviting you today to leave darkness forever. Walk away from hell today and come to the truth and the light and the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. End your suffering and come to Jesus as Lord and King of your life. Just close your eyes right now. Just close your eyes.
moment, I'm going to release you to come down and get prayer. Now, just because you come down doesn't mean we're all thinking you're the one who's got the problem with porn. Maybe you do. This is a moment for God to heal you of any sin. For you to confess that sin to one of these prayer teams. Confess your sin to one of these prayer teams. Repent, and they will pray for you to be healed of your brokenness today. Listen, if you failed, you can be healed. Today is a day that you've got to turn and let the Lord heal you. So, Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I repent, God, of my attitudes and thoughts about sex that come from a secular worldview. I repent, God. I'm sorry, Lord, for the pornography that's touched my lives, God, and the compromises that I make, Father. Forgive me, God. And I pray for all of us here in this place today, Lord. Lead us to repentance, God. We need your thoughts, God. And we need your ways, Lord. Today, God, we, we want to walk away from darkness and into the light. We forsake sexual sin, drunkenness, thievery, God, slander. Whatever it is, God, that's been hanging on today, Lord, I pray that it would break off in Jesus' name. And if it's salvation, then God, bring them forth to receive you as Lord and King of their life. Come, Holy Spirit, deal with our hearts, please. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's jealousy, maybe it's greed, maybe it's guilt. Come, Holy Spirit deal with our hearts today. In Jesus' name. If you need to come down and pray, now is the time to do that. I'm going to ask that you would be quiet as you leave. Allow those who need to confess their sin and repent to have a moment with God. God bless you. In Jesus' name, be blessed.